Hello, traders, analysts, and other followers of the energy industry. My name is Corey Stewart, and I'm a senior analyst with Refinitiv, your go-to partner for energy analysis and data. As always, I'm joined with Jim Mitchell, Refinitiv's head of America's oil analysts. Thanks again to everyone out there tuning in each week. Be sure to share the rundown tank with your friends and colleagues. And as promised, I have Jim in the hot seat today to answer some of your questions. So, Jim, let's start off with a hypothetical. What does energy policy look like under a potential President Biden? Well, that's a great question to ask. Uh, you know, one needs to be prepared. So up until July 14th, a Biden energy policy was nebulous with really one key tenant, ban the use of fracking. On July 14th, former President Biden, I guess we use a person's highest previous rank, former Vice President Biden laid out his energy thoughts. Today, former good-looking Jim Mitchell will not judge, but merely read from the presidential candidate's plan. These highlights are from JoeBiden.com. They're titled, Nine Key Elements of Joe Biden's Plan for Clean Energy. Starting number one, and I'm reading these directly from his plan. Take executive action on day one, to not just reverse all the damage Trump has done, but go further and faster. Um, aggressively, aggressively roll back methane pollution, um, set new fuel economy standards aimed at 100% of new sales for light and medium du duty vehicles to be zero emissions, permanently protect the Arctic National Wildlife Refuge, ban new oil and gas leasing on public lands. Number two, work with Congress to enact in 2021, President Biden's first year in office legislation that by the end of his first term puts us on an irreversible path to achieve economy-wide net zero emissions no later than 2050. No, this is, this is pretty much from the Paris Accord and the Green New Deal also echoes this same plan. Number three, rally the world to urgent and additional action. Uh, rejoin the Paris Climate Agreement. Uh, Biden will not allow other nations, including China, to game the system by becoming destination economies for polluters. Number four, make a historic investment in clean energy and innovation. Uh, invest $400 billion over 10 years. Uh, note, President Obama invested $90 billion during his term. Number five, accelerate the deployment of clean technology throughout our economy. Biden will set a target of reducing the carbon footprint of each U.S. building by 50% by 2035. Um, deployment, deployment of more than 500,000 new public charging outlets by the end of 2030. Ensure our agricultural sector is first in the world to achieve net zero emissions. A note on that one, how Biden plans to manage cow flatulations as it's a notable greenhouse gas emission. Number six, make environmental justice a priority across all federal agencies. Number seven, hold polluters accountable. On day one, Biden will requ require 
public companies to disclose climate-related financial risks and the greenhouse gas emissions in their operations and supply chains. Number eight, create 10 million good-paying middle-class union jobs. Number nine, fulfill our obligation to the communities and workers that have risked their lives to produce fossil fuels that made it possible for America to win world wars and become an industrial power. Not in these nine key elements, but something he also laid out in the speech on July 14th is he wants to invest $2 trillion over four years to significantly escalate the use of clean energy in transportation, electricity, and building sectors. Huh. Well, that's <laughs> certainly interesting. We'll um, keep an eye on that and see how that develops. But um, so you nailed Denbury Resources and Noble Energy. Will the market see more takeovers like Chevron's takeover of Noble? In short, no. But there is consolidation in the industry happening as I speak, and it will likely accelerate. Just not like the Chevron Noble deal. This one's unique. Remember, Chevron was looking to buy Anadarko for $50 billion, including debt. Knowing the conservative nature of Chevron, they had financing and integration of field operations and personnel in place. Noble Energy's assets look a lot like Anadarko's. In 2019, Anadarko produced 666,000 barrels a day of oil and oil equivalents. Noble Energy produced 346,000 barrels a day of oil and oil equivalents. So Noble Energy is 52% of the volume of Anadarko, and Chevron paid just under 23% for Noble Energy compared to what Oxy paid for Anadarko. Unfortunately, the consolidation in the industry will look more like the push-come-to-shove, debtor-in-possession kind of takeovers like we're seeing with Canadian oil company Oryx Petroleum or the picking of the bone strategy where oil companies, private equity, and bank-financed acquisition companies will acquire assets out of bankruptcy. Interesting. So you mentioned it when you were talking about uh, Biden, but what is the Green New Deal? So the Green New Deal is House Regulation uh, Resolution 109 uh, titled recognizing the duty of the federal government to create a Green New Deal. Uh, it was created February of 2019 by Representative Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez and Senator Edward Markey. It's a non-binding resolution with kind of a wandering uh, goals and objectives. So uh, three primary goals, reduce greenhouse gas emissions, fix the economic inequality, and fix racial injustice. Those three things seem like they need to be separated, but okay. So the, the Green New Deal also um, reflects the Paris Accord and the entire world being net zero emissions by 2050. But then also um, it goes on to say the federal government should mandate reduce greenhouse gas emissions, create high paying jobs, ensure clean air, water, and healthy food and basic human rights, and end all forms of oppression. It's the duty of the government to provide job training and now economic development 
particularly to communities that correctly rely or that currently rely on jobs and fossil fuel industries. So you can see the, the comparison to Biden's policy. So initially, um, this non-binding resolution was um, botched on its rollout. Um, AOC's uh, chief of staff, Seket Chakrabarty, published on Twitter. An early draft got published on the website by mistake. Um, what I think happened here is it, was, it wasn't completely thought out. I'm not sure how exactly it got to the internet, but some energy tenants of the Green New Deal. Um, renewable, 100% generation using hydro, wind, biomass, solar, and geothermal. So that group of generation assets currently produces about 20% of the electricity uh, currently. Uh, they're asking for 100%. EIA projects uh, renewable generation at 31% by 2050. Uh, the Green New Deal also wants to create a, a smart grid, uh, but that's been about a 10 or 11 year battle already. So that started in the 2009 economic stimulus bill where Congress allocated 3.6 billion a year to only to realize that it's going to take hundreds of billions of dollars and 20 years to create the smart grid. Uh, the Green New Deal also talks about energy efficiency in all uh, U.S. buildings. There's a section on transportation. Uh, there's a section on low-tech solutions like reforesting uh, part of the U.S. Uh, they, and they actually talked about uh, cows and climate. And apparently... Uh, they suggest that livestock accounts for 14.5% of the total global emissions. Okay. The Green New Deal also wants to guarantee jobs, leave vacation, and retirement for all uh, U.S. workers. Uh, reinforce labor laws. No real definition on what that means. And, of course, if the U.S. government is going to pay for all this stuff, they should get some kind of guaranteed return. Uh, I'd like to point out that the U.S. Post Office um, is a similar kind of deal, and they're losing about $3 billion a year and half for the last 10 years in a row. Green New Deal also wants to provide free college to all Americans. Um, it's great in theory. I'm not sure what that has to do with energy, but they also want to strengthen and protect uh, trade unions. Um, there's 14.7 million workers in the U.S., or about 9% of the U.S. workforce is, in, is a uh, union worker. Uh, there's some limits on trade deals. Um, they kind of regurgitate what's still and has been the policy for the last 15 years regarding indigenous people. Uh, there's also a note in there about health care. Um, not sure what any of that has to do with energy, but it's in there. Um, so this vote, this uh, non-binding non, non resolution was voted on. It failed 0 to 57 in the Senate as Republicans pulled some trickery on the vote to make it really toxic for Demo Democrats to vote for. So they all voted present, but couldn't actually vote positive for the non-binding resolution. Yeah, you know, 
<laughs> That's very interesting. So um, we used to talk about peak oil. Now what's being talked about is peak demand for oil. Are we at peak demand for oil? It's really hard to tell as there's a lot of forces swamping what would be viewed as normal demand. The three biggest ones being the COVID demand destruction, the mild recession the world seemed to be entering into prior to the COVID outbreak, and of course the impact of renewable resources. Now, the impact of renewable resources on oil demand is being pushed back as investment has slowed to a crawl. So I would suggest ask this question in a year. I suspect we'll have a much better view going forward. Sounds good. So, Jim, I've heard you say that you like to be long stupid. How do you define uh, stupid these days? Uh, for for those that don't know me, the phrase is, be long stupid and the world will reward you. The word stupid being a proxy for counterintuitive. So we're in a Cold War with China. Uh, it's very different than the Cold War we were in with Russia uh, that one was more of a military base. This one is an economically based uh, Cold War, and it's creating some uh, factionism with other countries. The you are either with me or against me kind of mentality, and countries are being forced to pick a side. One result of this is China will be less and less a factory to the world, but remain a factory to their own faction. Someone in the Western Hemisphere will pick up the writings of Wang Huai and apply his new left thinking that redefined China in the 80s through about 2000 as the world's factory. Will it be Mexico, Brazil, Colombia, or dare I even say Venezuela? Any which way, an opportunity exists with the decoupling of China and the U.S. It's just a matter of who, when, and how can I make money from it? So closer to home, but still on my stupid radar, wait for it, inflation. What? Are you paying attention to what's going on in the world economies? Yes. Yes, I am. Think about this. When the world experiences a shock like this pandemic, what happens? Pretty healthy deflation in the economy. In the energy world? Big cuts in CapEx, curtailment in oil production, and slacking of refineries. Some older and inefficient assets will be slacked totally and permanently. Clearly, this is what we are now going through. To mitigate the economic disaster, the U.S. Fed creates a stimulus program and figuratively throws money out of a helicopter. With the Fed backstopping everything from treasuries to now corporate bonds and ETFs, What's the next move if we can't go down? We will get over this pandemic. And when we do, all this backstopping and stimul stimulus will be like a nitro boost to the infamous Mustang Cobra jet. Oil will be doing its part as lack of investment and new development will limit production. And zoom, back to peak oil supply discussions. My first car was actually a 1968 Mustang. I just had a 302 and not a Cobra jet, but it was still a lot of fun. Um, Citibank and Goldman Sachs re recently said oil will never see $100 again. Do you believe that? So decades in this market has taught me never say never. If they would have said in the next three years, I would have agreed. 
a few things that would have me disagree with their statement. I don't believe we've seen peak demand, although it's tough to prove. Estimates for renewables are wildly too aggressive. EIA estimates 31% renewable usage by 2050, now somewhere between 18 and 20%. Paris Accord, Green New Deal are saying 100%. For the most part, the discussion on ramping up renewables to this level is still in the ideological phase. When that ideology hits the reality of obtaining initial investment, return on investment, and manufacturing, then we can talk about timetables. Thirdly, and arguably, arguably most important, that scaled back CapEx investment we're seeing now will create scarcity in the future. The only question is, will that future be five years or 10 years away? What does this second wave of COVID-19 mean for oil? In the Americas, the impact will be different between areas. Canada locked down pretty hard and is now coming out and looking to be in reasonably good condition. The refineries are able to sustain the Canadian population. Their crude production is where they could suffer. On the east side, Terra Nova is still off and Hibernia is shut from a recent sheen seen on nearby waters. EIA estimates total Canadian production about 4.4 million barrels a day. About 4.1 million barrels of that is west of Manitoba. Much of that comes to the U.S., and in there lies the problem. Any problem seems to be somewhat muted, though, so far. So about 3.8 million barrels of refining crude capacity is still offline in the U.S. This is keeping most of the U.S. balanced. Data from our partner IIR suggests that this, this uh, crude refining capacity will be coming back mid to late September. That could be a problem as refined product stocks are high. And Pad 5, read mostly California, is already starting to fade, though. They recently overtook New York as the most COVID cases and still climbing. Los Angeles, down to Long Beach, is exactly where most of the refineries are operating. So with demand coming off and some refineries will still need to slack or shut for a while. Mexican oil company Pemex has a serious COVID problem within its ranks. They have been able to resist the political rhetoric in reducing oil production, but Mother Nature had another idea. Also, Mexico has about 950,000 barrels of refining capacity offline. Guess where they get their gasoline and diesel? <laughs> you know, I'll throw in South America stuff here too. So. South America is somewhat of a different story. Focusing on Brazil, it was and continues to be very hard hit by the virus in comparison to the world. And it hasn't spared the oil industry there either. However, with China's continued buying, Petrobras will still achieve its 2.7 million barrels per day production goal for 2020. Also, refinery utilization dropped to the high 50s earlier in the year. It's recovered to about 78%, and that's actually higher utilization at the same time last year. Anyway, moving on. So will we see another futures expiration like we saw in April? <laughs> to be honest, man, I didn't think we'd even see that one. So there was a toxic cocktail of events that led up to April 20th. I'm not sure about the percentage impact of each of these, but here they are in no particular order. 
So coming off a Q1 earnings season, that wasn't great. And the energy companies were taking huge multi-billion dollar write-downs. The market mood was clearly down. Lockdowns were kicking in and product demand looked like it was headed somewhere close to zero. A large, a very large bankruptcy of a Singapore bunker player was announced late on Friday, April 17th. This meant a large liquidation of contracts was about to hit the market. Monday the 20th was the second day of the three-day period in which ETFs and everyone else had to roll their contracts. The long-only ETFs still had large positions and panicked at the events of the last 90 minutes. This is still being investigated, but at the time, it appeared the close on the 21st would be even uglier. It wasn't. So to recap, no, I don't think the market will see anything like that again. I'm sure we'll see other disasters, but not like this one. The exchanges, regulators, and even participants won't let that happen again. Yeah, that's a good thing. So unfortunately, that's all we have time for today. Uh, thank you again for your questions, and pl please continue to send them in. Uh, Jim and I, we live for the interaction. Until next time, have a fantastic week.